welcome to episode 143 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we've been planning this summer for the past year, and it has not disappointed, and it's not even over yet. We'll give you a midsummer update on what we've been up to and the trails that we've hiked. Then for today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we met up with a real live Philmont Scout Ranger who shared his favorite hack. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Hey, our little recording closet studio is kind of full today because we have not only the two of us, but two of our kids, Hannah and Isaac. And we have them here because they're going to share some highlights from part of their summer. It's been kind of a crazy summer. It started out uh, with Heather taking a trip to uh, Park City, Utah for something called Outdoor Press Camp. Yeah, that was a really unique event. Uh, I think on the show, we've talked a lot about me going to the Outdoor Retailer Show and kind of culling ideas and looking for trends and new products that are out there for backpackers and outdoorists. But this press camp was a little bit different in that it was a small group of outdoor companies and a small group of media people. So we just learned one-on-one from these companies about the gear. The one that comes to my mind first was uh, a treadmill that had a feature on it. It was a screen that showed the Grand Canyon Trail, one of the trails. So as you walked on the treadmill, it would take you visually through the Grand Canyon and had other options too. So you could take a hike to all these different locations in the world. So if you can't get to some of these amazing locations, or if you're training to go to one of those amazing locations, it's just a way to include technology in your training. I thought it was really interesting. Now, did this treadmill adjust its uh, slope based on where you were on the hike? Yes. Uh, uh, Like virtually where you were on the hike. Exactly. Yep. And you could see other people on the hike. And yeah, so it's just kind of an interesting way that technology and backpacking have kind of merged together. How about temperature? Like oh. <laughs> blasting you with some hot air as you... Oh boy, there's no prep for that. Yeah, I guess you could technically turn up your house heater up to like 112 degrees yeah. and really get a real authentic experience. But it was just inspiring, I guess, to see the beauty of those areas and get the exercise, you know, get some get some miles put on and some incline and be ready for an upcoming trip. Well, you also picked up a bit of an interest in climbing or uh, bouldering. Oh, yeah. That was that was really interesting. Um, there were a couple guys there from Boulder Denim, which is a Canadian company, and they had this Airstream that they had totally refurbished. And in the back of this trailer, they had put a mini climbing wall. And bouldering is something that I've never really thought of incorporating into a backpacking trip, but it's something that could easily be incorporated. It's not rock climbing. You're not going vertical. You're going across. So you're looking for these holds, someplace where you can put your feet and your hands, and uh, you're trying to just kind of solve this puzzle, I guess, as you go across 
the rock or the boulder. So we're hoping to get over into eastern Oregon to try that out. There's some good spots over there. Yeah, I've heard Smith Rock is pretty awesome. So yes, that is on my list of things to do next time we go backpacking. Just find a place. Heck, even a tree, I guess, would be filling that need. But just finding a way to include bouldering into one of our upcoming trips. Well, Heather was only home for about two days, and then we all took off on our long-planned family trip. The core of this trip was going to the Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico. But prior to the trip, you know, a, a year ago, we were starting to tack a bunch of other things onto it. <laughs> and so we proceeded the Philmont section of our trip with a trip down to Mexico. And then we attempted to attach a night of camping after Philmont on our way back to the airport. So it was a packed trip. But that's why we have Hannah and Isaac with us today, because uh, they'll be sharing their experiences. Uh, we didn't see them all week while we were at Philmont. They were out doing their own thing, which they'll tell you about. And like we said, the summer's not over yet, so we still have scout camp. I have girls camp. Uh, one of our kids wants to take a trip back to Three Mile Lake where we caught all those perch and then released them because we thought they weren't big enough, but really they were. So he really wants to go back and catch all the perch and have them for dinner. Um, and then... We still have things to share from Outdoor Retailer, so we have so much coming up, and it's just been such a thrilling summer so far, and thanks for letting us share it with you guys. Okay, so the Philmont trip. Philmont is a scout ranch in northern New Mexico, so it's run by the Boy Scouts of America and has been around for... Oh, Isaac's shirt tells me that it's been around <laughs> since 1938. I think it was built in the 20s and then given to the Boy Scouts in 1938, if I remember right. And uh, they use it for a couple purposes. Uh, they run a bunch of treks. So every day you see huge crowds of scouts coming for a 10-day trek. And you see those huge crowds of scouts leaving at the end of their 10-day trek. So every day is the beginning of a trek for some groups and the last day of a trek for some other groups. And they're just rotating them through. But we were in the Philmont Training Center. So we weren't out on a trek. We were there for training. And we had our two youngest kids uh, at the training center with us. And the BSA provided uh, programs for those two kids. So they got to do lots of fun activities. But we saw them every day kind of in and out of camp. Uh, however, Hannah and Isaac, when we arrived on Saturday, they left, and we didn't see them again until they finished their five-day mini-trek that they took. So our kids had a different trek experience than most of the scout troops that go to Philmont. We actually met up with a Philmont ranger while we were there, and he told us a little bit more about what the other treks are like. Well, we are here at the Philmont Scout Ranch with our friend Colin. He is a listener of the first 40 miles, and he is a ranger at the Philmont Scout Ranch. So, Colin, can you tell us a little bit about the Philmont Scout Ranch? So, Philmont Scout Ranch is a 214-square-mile uh, patch of wilderness in the northeastern corner of New Mexico, uh, where we take Boy Scouts out, uh, teach them what to do, and leave them out there for 10 days to have a fantastic time in the wilderness. So my job as a ranger is to take crews of about 10 to 12. We usually have two to four advisors with us, so adults, um, and usually around seven boys. And we take them out and teach them what to do in the wilderness. Uh, we stay with them for two days, get them knowing what they need to do with bears, mountain lions, fires, uh, cooking, anything they need to know for the rest of their trek. And uh, on the third day, we wake up in the morning, decide whether or not we can leave them. 
and head out of there. So do you have any memorable moments? I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> do you have any memorable moments from your time here at Philmont so far? Oh, man. Uh, I love climbing to the top of the mountains and seeing all the uh, fantastic views and uh, seeing the boys get up there and and see those views and seeing sunrises and sunsets and it just brings tears to their eyes that you wouldn't see normally. It's fantastic. So for today's top five list, we have Hannah, who is our 17-year-old daughter, and Isaac, who is our 15-year-old son, here to share with us their top five Philmont mountain trek highlights. These have not been edited by us. In fact, we don't even know what they're going to say. So uh, We've had no editorial <laughs> oversight here. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be some fun surprises. Anyway, so I think we'll turn the mic over to our most responsible child first. So then we can do damage control afterwards. <laughs> okay, hello, thank you. This is me. What? No. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Mm. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we'll turn the mic over to Hannah, who's going to share her top five Philmont Mountain Trek highlights. My first one was singing on the trail. Our group um, was a bunch of teenage girls. Some of them knew each other. A lot of them were from the South. So there was lots of country songs that I didn't know, but I got to listen to. It was really fun to see them boost their spirits with singing, even though I was out of breath most of the time. So I just got to listen to them. My second highlight was card games. We had two sisters that brought two decks of cards, and we played scum a lot. And that was really fun. I don't know if we ever finished a full game, but we had fun playing when we had time to. Number three was naps. Whenever we had time to nap, we would, because we were all super tired at the end of the day. My partner and I, when we got to camp, we'd immediately set up our tent and take a nap until dinner time. Number four was getting letters from family. Our families wrote us letters before we left on the trek, and someone carried them the entire way and surprised us with them. Um, so we got to read those and kind of remember our inside jokes with our families and kind of think about home for a little bit. Number five was when it rained. Um, it really reminded me of Oregon. It made me really happy to see rain coming out of the sky. We even got to see a rainbow. So Isaac, how about you? What was your top five list? Okay, so my top five, my number one was trail games. And so on the first day, we were staying at this camp called Ponyl, spelled P-O-N-I-L. And um, we were there the same day as my sister was, Hannah. And so our two crews would, like, play card games together with, like, five decks of cards combined or something like that. Like, just a ton of cards, and it was really fun. And then... My number two was that we got to, like, race our sister crew, which I don't know why it was called a sister crew if they were all guys and we were all guys. But, um, yeah, it was our... They had the same itinerary as us. So every day we would see who could wake up earlier, but not too early. Otherwise, we'd be tired the whole day. So we just got to kind of try and race each other with smarts and, like, how fast we could go, I guess. My number three was all of the campfire shows. The campfire shows were some of the rangers that worked at the camp. They would uh, get out their instruments and they'd play a bunch of songs. And my favorite one was at Metcalf Station on the 4th of July because all of the music there was really good. And one of the guys that was playing music there, he's playing guitar and he looked like John Denver. Like, <laughs> he actually did. 
Also on the 4th of July, we when we were hiking, whenever we saw a flag, we'd just stop and sing the national anthem. It was it was really great. My number 4 was hands-on experience. Um by hands-on experience, I mean we got to see a rattlesnake and then kind of um figure out how to circumvent that. And then we got to build a part of a railroad that had been made completely by scouts who visited Philmont. We also got to do an archaeological dig, which was really fun, and I thought I was going to break something, but I didn't, so I was really happy about that. Um, number five, this is a more serious one, was the Wilderness Pledge at Philmont, because the Wilderness Pledge basically means, like, you love nature. Tell us a little more about the Wilderness Pledge. What was the... what did you pledge to? So... There are five points to the Wilderness Pledge, and the point of the Wilderness Pledge is, through good scout camping, I pledge to preserve the beauty and splendor of the Philmont Wilderness. So, um, what our rangers told us is that this was basically the precursor to Leave No Trace. And so the five points of it are, I commit myself to, one, an absence of litter and graffiti, two, respect for Philmont's wildlife, three, conservation and proper use of water, four, respect for trails and trail signs, and five, proper use of campsites. So it was really cool when we got cards, and it was just like a really deep, cool moment. We were all like sitting on a cliff and like thinking about our time at Philmont. It was really, really cool. Tell us about your rangers. My rangers' nicknames were Granny D and Grandpa Absidy. Our rangers were Lillian and Sineda. Uh, Lillian was introverted, and Sineda was very extroverted, (laughs) so it was really interesting to see them work together and have one of them try to get us all to be high energy and moving along the trail really quick, and the other one was trying to calm us down and make sure we had everything organized, so we kind of referred to them as our mom and our dad, because (laughs) even though they were different, they worked together and helped us grow. Well, thank you, Hannah and Isaac, for sharing your top five list. I'm curious, um, how many miles did you go, and what were some of the physical challenges you faced while you were out in the New Mexican wilderness? I think my group did around 25 miles, if you uh, rounded a little bit. One of my challenges was because it was at a higher elevation and it was dry, Uh, It was kind of an environment I wasn't used to, and I ran out of breath a lot when we were at the tops of hills. The temperature wasn't too bad. It was a little hotter than I would have liked, but I think the big difference in weather was the dryness. We had to apply chapstick all the time, even if we were from a dry area. And were they pretty strict about water, like how much you had to drink every day? They told us to drink a lot of water, but the thing that really bugged me about the dryness was... We couldn't apply any smellables after 5 o'clock, so that meant no chapstick before bed. Oh, that is hard, especially if you're a chapstick addict like me. So Isaac, how about you? How many miles did you go, and what were some of the physical challenges of being on the trail? I think my group went about 25 miles also. It would be 20 miles as the crow flies, but uh, there were a lot of curves and dips and hills in the trail and stuff. Uh, My biggest physical challenge wasn't really a challenge with my body. It was just putting in contact lenses, like, the whole trip. (laughs) It was so hard because there was, like, dust in everywhere and dirt, and it was was really miserable. But it worked out, so it's okay. If you did it again, would you leave your contact lenses at home and just do glasses? Yes. Well, 
Um, were you guys going to talk about the poop scale? Or is that a conversation for another day? <laughs> I think that's appropriate. <laughs> so one of the very first things we learned on the trail, it was even before we got on the trail, um, our crew leaders took us over to what they call Red Roof. That's where you uh, poop, but you don't pee. So you don't pee in a red roof because um, the bacteria from the pee will make the poop smell. So, yeah. There's a science behind it. There it's is a amazing. Science. Yeah. And you could tell which red roofs people had peed in because they smelled disgusting. And other ones didn't smell like anything. So a red roof is a structure. It's like a latrine, a hole in the ground that has a roof on it. Yes. And oh. the roof is red. An outhouse. Okay, yeah. Basically. So our rangers taught us the poop scale. I don't know why we used it, maybe for medical reasons, but a one on the scale means uh, it was a terrible poop. You should probably <laughs> go to the doctor. It doesn't even look like poop. It's basically water. <laughs> okay, that sounds medically dangerous, for sure. <laughs> a one is dangerous. A ten, on the other hand... A 10 on the poop scale is such a clean poop that you don't even need to wipe. It just goes straight out and you have no problem. Okay, there you have it. Okay, well, that's probably enough about that. <laughs> but I can see how that would be useful when you're dealing with some teenagers who may be uh, experiencing gastrointestinal disturbances and maybe need a way to communicate that to their leaders without embarrassing themselves in front of everyone. <laughs> and now our kids are both embarrassed. <laughs> no. No. Just funny. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks guys for sharing. Well, I think we can safely move on from that. Instead of a summit gear review today, I really wanted to talk to Hannah and Isaac about their gear. So I guess we can call this a summit gear shakedown and talk about what they brought. Um, maybe some of the catastrophes or <laughs> fails that happened with their gear and um, maybe some of the gear that they could not live without. But they're really glad that they ended up packing and bringing along. And before we go into this, I just want to say before they actually left on the mountain trek, their leaders went through every single piece of gear that was in each of their packs. And if they didn't have something on the list, they went over to this little building and they picked up that item if the leader deemed that it was truly necessary. In fact, one of the things that kind of surprised me was um, water bottles. They had on the packing list that each person on the trek needed four water bottles. Well, that just seemed so excessive to me and probably because I'm used to hiking in lush land with lots and lots of water in the desert four water bottles is not excessive and i think isaac had packed three water bottles and they said you need to go get a fourth water bottle you can't hike with just three so i'm curious uh like how he felt about that if it was truly necessary and uh kind of how your gear did so let's start with hannah gear fails and gear successes so one of my gear fails was that when my parents told me to bring a better pack, I didn't. I brought the pack that I liked. Um, and not very far into the trip, the straps started coming off and ripping off. 
So um, I really should have chosen a pack that was higher quality and not something that I liked just because I'd used it a few times before. It's just because it was a pretty blue. That was- <laughs> I just like blue. I know. So maybe you should have taken Daddy's pack. But um, so. But Isaac took my pack. <laughs> yeah, Isaac ended up taking the Deuter, and Hannah took something that we bought at our local grocery store slash big box store and it was super cheap and it it matched our family's needs and our family's budget at the time but really it has seen a sad sad end to its life it died on philmont though so i mean that's a good place to die good place to die but uh yeah yeah isn't it interesting we've had those packs for maybe two two plus years Uh now Uh, As well as your Osprey and my Deuter and several other packs now. We have a Gregory, no, a couple of Gregory packs and Exped and all these packs that we've gotten. Uh, But those two we bought early on cheap, what, 50 bucks? Yeah, and I think they were on sale and ended up being 27. I mean, it was just like ridiculously cheap. 50 bucks for two of them. (laughs) So, so cheap, yeah. And, uh, you know, at first glance, they look the same as the other packs. Yeah. They they. Basically, they have the same features, and you take them out on a backpacking trip, and it's like, no, okay. I just saved myself 200 bucks. Right. And then two years later, oh boy, you can really tell the difference. Yeah. And so these are tattered. The straps were kind of almost coming off, (laughs) it looked like. (laughs) Um, The structure of the pack, you know, it has a couple of aluminum stays that would keep the back structured, but... The fabric that they drop into at the bottom had ripped, and so those aluminum stays were really just flopping there, not providing any structure to the pack anymore. I mean, when you came back at the end of the trip, I thought, wow, that's just a sack on your back that's barely on your back. (laughs) So you pay for good gear, you pay for bad gear. (laughs) Sometimes it just takes a bunch of trips before you really start to notice that difference. So did you have a gear success, something that really worked for you that you were so glad you had with you? One of my gear successes was I brought lip balm. I didn't expect that dry lips would be a really big deal um, because I was told it was going to rain every day, which it did, but the rest of the day was dry. So I'm really glad that I brought that. I was applying it about every five to ten minutes because it was so dry out there. And how about you, Isaac? What kind of gear fails or gear successes did you have? So returning to the water bottle question that you asked, I definitely am glad that I brought four water bottles because on some days we had like um, six or seven mile days that I wouldn't have been able to hydrate all the way through with just three liters of water because our ranger said you're supposed to drink one liter of water per hour. So... When we were hiking for four plus hours, I really like, I wouldn't have been able to hydrate without um, four liters of water. Yeah, and one of the Philmont Rangers that we talked to said it's possible to experience dehydration in just an hour out there at high elevations in the desert. And I believe it because we went on a hike in the middle of the day. It was probably like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon when it was at the hottest. And we were out on this exposed trail, no shade, and we were drenched. Like it was so hot, so dry, and you just get so parched so fast, especially if you're exerting yourself too. It's a, yeah, the desert is an unforgiving place. You definitely need to be prepared. 
So it sounds like having four water bottles was a gear success for you. Did you have a gear fail or did you bring something that you were just like, oh, man, I didn't even use this. I packed it all the way in, packed it all the way out. I still have it. Okay, so I think a gear, not necessarily fail, but thing that I wish I would have done better or differently on this trip is that I brought the Deuter, which is like a, like a 65 to 75 liter pack, I think when really I didn't even need 65 to 75 liters because I was packing light already. I should have just brought the pack that I was comfortable with, which is the Gregory something. The Gregory Wander? The yeah. kid's size pack? The Gregory Wander, which I'm at the upper limits of right now. But I'm I'm like comfortable with that pack. I know all the ins and outs of it, and I know like how it feels on me. I have it set to me. I really should have brought that pack because I like... Even three days into the trek, I was like still adjusting the Deuter and seeing like, okay, this feels a little bit better. And then another gear fail is that I packed a day pack because we needed a day pack, but I packed it like down in like kind of a hidden place. So when they were like, all right, during the pack check, they were like, all right, do you have a day pack? And I was like, oh yeah, I have a day pack. So I checked for my day pack and I was like, I can't find it. I probably forgot to pack a day pack. So then I had to like borrow my dad's day pack, which was purple. Um, <laughs> and then when I got back home, I started unpacking and I found the day pack I packed. And I was like, wow, how did I not find this when I was doing the pack check? Um, I kind of wish I would have packed things in a little more convenient places. So this is interesting. Isaac says, um, I wish I had brought the pack I was comfortable with. And Hannah says, my parents suggested bringing a stronger pack, and I regret that I brought the pack that I was comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm comfortable with a good pack. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe that's the lesson. Get comfortable with your pack, but make sure it's a high-quality pack, and then get comfortable with it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm also curious uh, your guys' thoughts about shoes. Um, the Philmont packing list said, bring really sturdy hiking boots. And every one that we saw at Philmont, I mean, when I saw scouts coming and going at the camping center, and when I saw Philmont Rangers, man, they were living that requirement to the T. Yeah, from the ankles down. It was all leather, all lugs. It was just solid, sturdy, heavy hiking boots. And I, on the other hand, like to hike in my minimalist sandals, my zero shoes. And so I'm at the other end of the spectrum. And, and I love this quote by Baden-Powell, who was the founder of scouting, who said something to the effect that uh, your footwear should be minimal and light. And it just makes me kind of smile because I'm like, ha, you know, those people, they don't know. But I'm the true follower <laughs> of Baden Powell. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but you know what? I have to say, when I went out on hikes in the desert area there, I was so glad to have shoes that covered my feet completely. And then having stories come back after our trekkers returned home about rattlesnakes and just seeing all the cactus that was out there. I really enjoyed having the full foot protection. I didn't go as far as ankle boots, you know, that high up, but I just had a good solid pair of ultras. But um, yeah, the ultras, they were lightweight. They still provided lots of protection from all the pricklies out there. So I felt, I felt good about my shoe choice when I went hiking. Hannah, what did you take on your mountain trek and what did you think? 
So I took a pair of Nike shoes. I think they're just Nike running shoes or something like that. They were more minimalist than other people in my crew, but they were bigger than I would have liked. Unfortunately, my crew leaders forced me to wear those shoes the entire time because they didn't want to risk me wearing shoes that they thought would give me blisters or something. So I didn't really get to try out the other shoes that I brought. I wish I could have. So on hikes before, I have worn shoes that other people have told me are unacceptable, <laughs> but I don't think my feet care anymore. They just kind of go with whatever I wear. I haven't gotten blisters on backpacking trips before with the family where I've worn just minimalist tennis shoes or zero shoes. So I'm I'm betting that if I wore my zero shoes, I would have survived. The only thing is there were lots of rocks, big rocks, small rocks, everything in between. So I think the tennis shoes I brought that they told me to wear were really helpful for those. Isaac, how about you? What did you wear compared to the rest of your crew and how did you feel about it? Okay, so I started off the trek in a pair of Nike Free 6.0s and I was like, oh, I do not like wearing these. They're like squishy on my feet and there's too much support in places I don't want support. And like, I just felt like I was trapped. And then on the third day, when we started hiking to rich cabins, we came to some water crossings and I was like, oh, perfect opportunity to switch shoes. So I was like, I don't want to get these shoes wet. I need to change <laughs> shoes to my other shoes. So I changed shoes to my zero shoes, um, Ipari Hanas, I think. Yeah, they're the closed-toed, yeah. kind of casual zero shoes. Yeah, I changed to the Iparihanas, and then I crossed that river on a bridge, and then <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to keep these on, because now that I've gotten changed into these shoes, my crew isn't going to want to stop so I can change shoes again. So I kept those shoes on for the rest of the hike, and then my hot spot that I had from my other shoes completely went away. It was like kind of... um on the side of my ankle at the bottom, kind of. I don't know how to describe it, but my hot spot went completely away, and I just kept hiking. And by the end of the trek, I only had one blister in a spot that was just because my feet were a little inflamed from maybe being at high elevation and stuff, compared to one kid who wore heavy-duty hiking boots, and he had, like, so many blisters you couldn't even count, and he was, like, constantly dressing up his feet and, like, putting moleskin on everywhere and, like taking care of his hotspots. I was just running wild and free in my zero shoes. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's just, it was one of the perplexing things to me at Philmont to see these huge, heavy boots that everyone was wearing because they were told to. And so that's just what you do. That's the culture. And uh, just to come from a perspective where we have we have reduced and reduced and reduced our footwear to where, I mean, you you can tell when it's the leglers out on a backpacking trip because <laughs> we've got these big packs on and we're wearing sandals or very minimalist uh, shoes, you know, as light as we can go, as, as, as non-supportive as we can go with our shoes so that our feet are more like our hands. They can move. But when you're in a place where everyone's wearing boots, you start to kind of uh, doubt yourself and be like, well... What am I missing? Um, I'm I'm weird. And I don't know if we talked about this in a recent episode where we talked about Katie Bowman. Um, but she has a book called Whole Body Barefoot. So if you want to make the transition from your heavy leather hiking boots to something a little bit lighter, more flexible, she teaches you how to make that transition. It's a really skinny book, 
quick read and you'll learn how to do it safely so that you can have a good experience uh, with more minimalist shoes and have that support built up, you know, in your foot structure, your bone structure and your muscles uh, so you won't injure yourself. Which takes us all back around to the hike your own hike philosophy. Uh, Just because you do it different from someone else, that's fine. Do it. You know, if, if you're the one that's different, don't worry about it. Right. Yeah. One of the rangers that we connected with said he could only hike in those sturdy ankle boots because he had an ankle injury. And so that was how he kept his ankle supported and avoided other injury. Um, So really, yeah, I agree. Hike your own hike, whatever you're comfortable with. We're just sharing things that we've tried out that we've had success with. One of the highlights for Josh and I while we were at the Philmont Scout Ranch was meeting up with one of our listeners, Colin, who is a real live Philmont Scout Ranger. We took a hike with him up Yuraka Trail, and it turns out none of us know our counterclockwise from our clockwise because we went backwards on the trail, and then we did a little side trail, and then we accidentally walked up a... uh, kind of a washed out area that we thought was a trail, but then it turned out to be a dried up river. Anyway, we just kind of wandered all over and saw some beautiful views. Uh, We saw an old volcano that hadn't erupted for 7,000 years. We saw a beautiful uh, mesa. Just the whole valley while we were up there looked so lush and green and beautiful. And of course, the ponderosa pines on the trail Um, that we were hiking on, they don't smell like pine trees. They smell sweet and caramely, and everyone has a different way of describing how they smell. Hannah, how would you describe ponderosa pines? I could never really decide what they smelled like, um, because one person actually pointed out um, one tree that we smelled that smelled different on different sides of the tree. (laughs) One side smelled like banana, and one side smelled like vanilla. Whoa. How about you, Isaac? The tree that I kept smelling when I was going to my campsite back and forth at Ponyo smelled like butterscotch. So I'm sticking with that. And for some reason, I got more of a urine smell (laughs) when I smelled those trees. Thanks for taking us there, Josh. (laughs) Sorry. When we talked to Colin, he said a lot of people say they smell butterscotch. That's kind of the consensus. Yeah, that's better. (laughs) So as we were talking to Colin, he shared with us a backpack hack of the week that we want to share with our first 40 milers today. So what you can do is you can take a clear Nalgene water bottle and you can fill it full of water and you can put a tea bag on the inside of the Nalgene. You can close it up and hang it out on the back of your backpack. Uh, Let it sit in the sun for a few hours and you can make sun tea that way. Uh, All you got to do is whatever you want to add to it, sugar, honey, anything like that. Uh, Just mix it in while it's still warm so it dissolves. And then you can stick it in a creek and get it cold again and you have instant sweet tea on the trail. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Mehmet Murat Ildan. He said, Without the intense touch of nature, you can never fully freshen yourself. Go for a camping, and there, both your weary mind and your exhausted body will rise like a morning sun. 
That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. We went up on a hike up Yukara, Yuraka, Yuraka, up Yuraka Ridge, Yuraka, Yuraka Trail. Yuraka, thank you. Just hit record. Hey, Mom and Emily. Just wanted to let you guys know that I'm here at Philmont. Uh, I'm thinking about you guys, and I miss you guys. Perfect. It worked. Awesome. <laughs>